You are listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg, and today I'm joined by my co-host Rahul. Let's go! Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 43 of Ace Comicals. I'm joined today by a single co-host, and that is Ray. Evening, Greg. And as always, I'm Greg, because who else would I be? And uh, yeah, welcome to the show. So, been doing a fair bit since the last show. Most of it um, in New York. I went out on Friday, and since then I've been in blue and red tights, swinging around the city, much to the, the bemusement and fury and anger of a certain ex-newspaper editor who likes to be really harsh about me uh but you know i do cool things i stop muggings i stop drug deals i help people in car crashes i've done all kinds of stuff so yeah how about you ray i have not been playing (laughs) spider-man as you just alluded to because i couldn't get it in time for the weekend so i've just been listening to you go on and on about how good it is (laughs) And you make me sick, frankly. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be able to play it, hopefully, after this recording. So, uh, yeah, I've heard really good things about Spider-Man. And you, you gushing about it has only helped um, energise me towards, you know, splashing out <laughs> and I've, spending money on something yeah. that I shouldn't be spending money on. I've tried not to gush too hard about it because I've tried, like, in, in like, um, like various uh, communication channels like WhatsApp and things like that. I've tried not to gush at you too hard about it because I just don't want to, like, <laughs> I, I don't... I don't want to make people feel like that. You know, I'm not one of these guys that's just like, oh, look at me, look at me, look what I got. I mean, you know. to be honest, you were the first of the Fallen. Like, you weren't supposed to buy it, but yeah. you went ahead. <laughs> like, you you folded quickly. Yeah. Like, you, this... <laughs> I was at work on Friday. Here's the story, right? I was at work on Friday afternoon, and I'm sitting there in my lunch break, and I'm looking at my social media feeds, and I knew the night before that it was going to be hell that day because i knew this game was coming out this spider-man game this free roaming buffet of wonderful delights where you get to swing around a really nicely realized new york city and do all kinds of cool spider-man stuff and play a cool spider-man story and just just be inside a a pair of spider-man's pants yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a, well, a perfectly constructed um... pair of Spider-Man's pants. <laughs> Sorry. Continue. If you want to put it that way, then put it that way. <laughs> I was going more for something like a microcosm, a a universe in a glass globe, mm. and you know, it like it feels like like all the energy I had for Spider-Man when I was like fifteen years old, like all the and and all the things that I got out of Spider-Man when I, you know, like I can I when I'm I'm playing it and. It's like going through an old trunk in an attic playing that game. It's 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 that kind of, you know, it's got that kind of thing about it for me and it's great and I love it and I love being able to be inside Spider-Man's head and do all this stuff. It's great. Kind of like the Batman Arkham games are for me because I I I like being in there, which was cool. Yeah, I've I've yeah. heard it follows a very similar model in um at least to Arkham City and Arkham Yeah. What was the third one? Arkham Knight. Yeah, it's um, got it's yeah, the it's got that kind of um, where you get to explore Gotham in those games. In this one, you're exploring New York, and it's that kind of thing. But it's uh, the the main difference for me is it's it's um, it's Spider Man. 
<laughs> so it's I colorful mean, 100%, 100%. and it's optimistic and it's you know whereas the whereas the batman games although they're great and i love me some batman you know it, it's it's dour it's it's angry it's brooding it's, gothic, it's gotham yeah. it's batman but this is like bright optimistic spider-man fun uplifting nice to and, play and and i mean the batman games are nice to play as well but it's like two different moods so mm. yeah no that's definitely the draw for me is just that it's vibrant yeah. and colorful and it's like happy and lively <clears throat> and marvel in the way that i love yeah. marvel for and, and the fact that it's new york like mm. anything to do with new york you know yeah. like that's the main reason that i love gta 4 was just going around in like this condensed version of new york and i'm yeah curious to see because i've not looked anything about the map i've not dived too deep into the reviews oh. for this but I want to see how accurate a facsimile of real life New York it is, and I'm looking forward to like swinging over mm. Central Park and stuff right. like that. So. Oh, you, you can do that. You I'm can sure legit you can. do yeah. that. I've yeah. been to Central Park in that game, Epic. and cool. And it's uh, it's it's like yeah, it's it's they've. I mean, I've never been to actual New York. Have you? You have, haven't you? Very briefly, I had like yeah. three days there, and it's not yeah. enough time. But I mean, it's it's got this whole like it it is pretty much it's Marvel New York, so it's New York, and at the same time, it's got these little additional bits and pieces that are really cool because it's Marvel New York. Without getting so. too far into it, do you know if it's trying to do a thing where it's almost a one-to-one replica of New York with the same buildings and same skyscrapers or anything, or is it like the GTA Four model where they've taken the highlights and condensed it down into a you know, a more functional map, which is more interesting than just every single photorealistic side street would be. Um, I don't know, because okay. I, I've not looked that far into it and I don't know New York well enough. I've never been to New York and not being mm. from America. So <laughs> I don't I don't know how to answer that question. All I know no, is that it, for me, it's New York and it's what I imagine New York from having read a lot of comics set in New York. And it's it's mm. comic book New York because there's comic book stuff in there. So like um minor spoilers here. Um there's like a, a, a feature where because Peter Parker's a photographer, he carries a camera around with him, you can go around um taking photographs of landmarks. Okay. And some of the landmarks are traditional New York landmarks. Um like um the Chrysler building and stuff like that. And then mm. some of the landmarks are, are um, comic book landmarks. So landmarks from the pages of Marvel comics. So the Sanctum okay. Sanctorum, for example, or oh, wow. the, um, uh, alias. Fantastic Invest- Fours building. I've not found that yet, but alias investigations is there. Oh, cool. I've not found the Baxter building yet. Mm. So, but awesome. yeah, it's, it's like all this kind of stuff in there as well. So, if the Baxter well. building's in there, I mean, I hope it is. That would be some some kind of awesome. Like Sophie was sat there watching me play it the other night, and like when I was like coming across, because she's actually like impressed with it as well. Like she's not really even a gamer, but she's like super impressed with like how well put together this game is. And she's like watching the cutscenes, and she's like, it's like watching a film. So, like, because she watches the Marvel TV shows with me and things like that, and she gets into this stuff a little bit sometimes so um and she's like she's impressed with it and every time i come across something i'm just like oh, check it out look at that it's 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 dr strange's house it's dr strange's house and things like that and i'm pointing at the screen and stuff and i'm just like <laughs> i'm like a little kid it's great 
but yeah, it's for me, it's like being able to be the Spider-Man fan that I was again and being able to like, especially on like, you know, the first sort of like the first time sticking that disc in and playing it and getting to swing around New York and do exactly what Spider-Man does. And this kind of like really well realized version of Spider-Man to think the way that he moves and everything else and the things that you can do. I mean, like it's got all these, this feature in it where you can swap suits and things like that, but I keep him in the classic suit. I don't like this. I'm not the fan of the suit they made for the, for the game. They've got a new design of the suit for the game with a white spider on it and stuff. And I'm like, nah, don't want that one. <laughs> I'm keeping him in the classic, the classic Spider-Man suit. And obviously you, you can do that. It allows for that because any mods that you get off the other suits when you buy the other suits, but with the points that you earn in the game and whatever, like certain things that you earn by doing certain missions, you can transfer the mods across to whichever suit you prefer. Yeah, I've heard that. So you can yeah. pick and choose the aesthetic, but then keep the yeah. like the features and move sets and stuff from yeah. one and the other. The, yeah, it uh, sounds like they've really uh, mm. gone and like pandered, but in the best way to the fans. Like, yeah, given, given everything they can, to, it's you can tell how much love and devotion has gone into making it. Mm. Um, to make it into something that is, it's, it's, yeah, it's like I said, it's like being able to step inside a Spider-Man snow globe. And, it, you know, everything that Spider-Man is inside that snow globe and you get to be in there and, and play around with it. It's great. It's the best way to describe it, like a microcosm, Spider-Man microcosm. And you get to go in there and be part of that for a small Sounds amount fantastic. of time. I... Yes, yes. But but the more we but... talk about it, the less time I have in the evening to play it after this cast is over. <laughs> so let's, let's move on to the comics. <laughs> so what are the, what are the Marvel... Marvel adjacent or Marvel properties have you been reading? Because I know you've been reading something. Oh this week. man, loads, loads of stuff. Like, I mean, like highlights for me this weekend was um, the third issue of uh, Cosmic Ghost Rider. Oh, which, cool. Okay. Yeah, which is absolutely brilliant, and I've been tweeting about it. And uh, I've updated the playlist. If you've been listening to the cast, you'll know that I've made a playlist. Uh, or if you've been following my Twitter feed, you'll know that I've made a playlist, and it's been updated. So there's more new tracks on there and I've been trying to keep it cosmic metal. There's a bit of like um, rebellious thrash in there as well, because, you know, that's that's what Frank Castle is. So <laughs> I haven't listened to your playlist since you first put it up. So I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah. How, what did you think to the f- first the first barrage? I, it's great. For, it's great to listen to while I'm working, because it's like you sometimes you want to block out people. And I also don't want to pay too much attention to the lyrics, and it's that 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 specific mix of like just enough noise and fury to like distract me from the outside world and get on with my work. It's yeah, great for that. Yeah, and some of I it's... haven't sat down and read comics to it yet because I don't. I think it would distract me from that. But yeah, some of it's fairly instrumental, mm, so yeah. it's pretty good for that as well because I've got some really chuggy. Digenti, fairly instrumental stuff on there. Some, some chuggy, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> chuggy like type stuff ah, I got it <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah it's it's really cool so um, you should check it out if you're a fan of Baroness Mastodon uh, Devin Townsend Project Isis um, Municipal Waste Nuclear Assault Metallica to name a few of the things I've put on there um and uh i've also like it's been a week for cosmic marvel stuff because there's a new thanos book that i read as well um which was 
Thanos Legacy, which sort of like carries on from where the Thanos miniseries that I've reviewed on here previously ends, where Thanos has to... The Thanos wins thing that I talked about, where Thanos goes forward in time, meets an older version of himself, and decides not to kill himself, and not to give himself what he wants, because this is Thanos we're talking about, and he revels (laughs) in other people's misery. Um, and comes back forward in time again, and this is this picks up where that leaves off, and is another Donny Cates book that feeds into the other Donny Cates Marvel books. Yeah, it's, it's all fantastic. He's having, I mean, like he's really, 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 really doing well at the moment, like with these Marvel stories, and he seems to be having so much fun with the characters they give him, and I'm having so much fun reading him, having so much fun with these characters. Like, I think. At the, this moment in time, I can say that Donny Cates is... I mean, I've probably already said this on the cast, but Donny Cates is probably one of my favourite writers. Like, that will go down as a thing, like, on my list of favourite writers, like, on my shelf. Donny Cates is there. So, yeah. I mean, I love his stuff. Um, some of his image stuff is really good as well. Like, stuff that we've talked about previously on the cast. I won't go too much into it, but Redneck, um, God Country... All that stuff. It's really cool. Yeah, spectacular <clears throat> artwork in those two books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that brings me on to the third and final Cosmic Silver Surfer book I read this weekend. Which, um, now this one is pretty special. This is the Silver Surfer Annual number one. Um, which is the, the 2018 Silver Surfer Annual, because obviously there's been other Silver Surfer Annuals. Um, but this, um, this kind of like hit me for six when I read this, cause it's, it's this wonderfully heartbreaking story from the origins of the Silver Surfer. Um, I think I remember talking about putting it on my pull list last time. Um, and I was saying, uh, I hope it's something new. And then I read the blurb for it and I go, okay, it is actually going to be something new, but, um, it's like this whole, the story of the thing that broke him the first time that he led so after striking a deal with galactus for the safety of his homeworld which we all know is the silver surfer's tragic origin this is the first time that he led galactus to a an inhabited planet and it is like it is really really good it's really wonderful it's a pretty heartbreaking story it's just yeah, the art is spot on for the kind of cosmic spacescapes that we're getting treated to and these other worlds that they show us. And this just has this wonderful fineness about it. The art does. It's just lines and details and, and the colours complement it perfectly. It comes together to build this like beautiful spacescape. And it's just... Oh, it's amazing. And Sounds heavy. Yeah, no, you should read it. It's great. It's so, so good. Um... And it just, for me, it perfectly captures the spirit of the Silver Surfer, and this is the this is exactly what I want from Silver Surfer stories. It's like this this bittersweet, beautiful book. <laughs> like the artist um, at the back of the book, uh, there's like a, a bit of a um, a little bit of a, a sort of like um, I want to call it an outro slash blurb by the artist, um, and uh, there's a bit of there's a bit of uh, writing from the writer there too for the book, and. They talk about, uh, well, the artist talks about how he has dedicated dedicated to an artist called Mobius, 
Uh, now, Mobius worked with Stan Lee in the 80s on a two-parter called Silver Surfer Parable. Well, it was later collected as Silver Surfer Parable. It wasn't actually um, that until it was collected. It's just a two-part mini-series. Uh, scripted by Lee and drawn by Mobius. And when you look at the artwork compared to the artwork in to Mobius's artwork in the books, you can you can see the direct influence and um it's a fitting tribute. It really is because it's amazing and it just looks so gorgeous. Also it helps that the colorist is a certain Chris O'Halloran. Oh, okay. Yeah, you may know his name. <laughs> hmm. From such books as uh Ice Cream Man. But yeah, um and it just works so well and he's coloured it so well. It's like it's vibrant and at the same time it just like it just looks so natural, just just like fizzing across the pages. It's great. I'm just flicking through it now as I'm talking to you. Um and yeah, I I love this start to finish. Um Yeah, it's it's a really, really cool book and if it is meant as a tribute to Mobius, uh, then it's a really fitting one because the artwork's great. 100%. Um, so the creative team behind that one, we've got uh, Ethan Sachs as the writer. Uh, Andre Lima Arujo is the artist. Chris O'Halloran, colorist. Uh, VCs Travis Lenham, uh, Lanham on letters. Um, Nick Russell on production. Philip Tan and uh, Marta Gracia are cover artists and uh, Marcus Martin does a variant cover for it. And yeah, it's it's uh, it's amazing. It's just got this beautiful, fine, um, considered quality about it where the artwork's concerned. And the writing is great as well because it's this this tragic tale of the Silver Surfer. Like, I was going to say those those are my favourite Silver Surfer tales, where it's the the tragedy of his being and like how he has to serve this master. And... But yeah, that's that's what yeah. that's what I meant when I said it perfectly captures the Silver Surfer. It's it's mm. yeah, that's what the Silver Surfer is. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I think, yeah. I think I'm going to have to pick this one. Mm. Yeah, um, and that is the Silver Surfer Annual Number One, and that was out last week. Um, Ray, I believe the next one is yours. Time yeah, to find so I... out what you've been doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't find much time to read comics this week, but one of the few that I did get through was called Cover, and I picked it out because I liked its cover. Um, so I don't know if, without getting too deep into that, um, but yeah, so this is, so it's called Cover, created by Brian Michael Bendis and David Mack, uh, digital coloring by Zoo Ozu, letters by Carlos Mangual, and design uh, by Curtis King Jr. I'm not entirely sure what design means. Maybe it's just like an overseeing the, uh, I don't know, the, the, the whole style of the thing. But I'm going to have to look deeper into what design specifically means. Maybe it's maybe it's the cover, because sometimes I've noticed with some comics they say logo designed by or, you know, cover designed by. Um, but anyway, I was grabbed by the cover of this. And to describe the cover of cover, there's a lot going on. So there's the silhouette of a man holding his finger up to his mouth in like a shush gesture. And then this silhouette is split up into portions as though it's um, like overlaid onto a window lattice, like a window frame. And then within the man's silhouette, as though within the panes of the, like the top three quarters of the window, is a watercolor painting of a red-lipped woman staring out um, from the page. And then finally, at the bottom left corner of the window, is some 
some type of fictional legalese or, you know, some sort of document where most of the text has been redacted. Like, you know, when they have black marker that goes over the words to, to you know, censor stuff, um, except for the names Brian Michael Bendis and David Mack. And it's, it's really cool. It really grabbed me from the get go. And then when you open it up, the first page um, really is really jarring. It's a, so in such contrast to the cover, it's really stark. Um, so immediately there's not many words and there's like oodles of this gorgeous shifting diluted artwork and almost the entirety of this book at least for the first couple of pages is in these pastel blue tones um so what this book is about it's about an artist who is at comic-con maxfield um he's selling his artwork and an excitable fan um as she puts it i'm not a casual fan with deep pockets buys out all of his artwork um like literally thousands of dollars for a few pieces of his art and he's dumbfounded by the fact that somebody has you know done what is considered a comic con a comic con miracle um and he tries to offer a discount and she refuses like he's just loaded with all this money that she throws at him for his art um and then going from there the the style shifts 100 percent. it switches to the to this like japanese or um possibly chinese i think in japanese it's called sumi air style or like an ink wash style so you know where um you if you can imagine like the the giant paintbrushes and the really delicate swirls where it's like dipped in black ink and you see it like drawn onto the page um it's basically an in-universe comic that that our protagonist max field has uh come up with called ninja sword odyssey and in it, he's drawing or writing about a, a young boy who narrates about how his father came home after many battles, having lost his job, and taught him the ways of the sword. And then it's here that the art begins to edge towards kind of like avant-garde or, uh, you know, um, just surreal in a, in some ways, where the the window frame structure that was on the cover kind of starts to bleed into the artwork again, makes another appearance, and the edges of the frame forms the outline of our writer who was in the previous frame almost like he's incorporated himself or he's manifesting in the work that he's creating in that moment and it's like this really effective way of showing how he's lost and absorbed in his own painting or craft and then within that story we see the child expressing regrets to his father but his image the child's image is within this silhouette framework of max that's outlining the work that he's doing and these panels they begin to to fill the previously like blue and white monochrome world with splashes of color and radiance and then as the the kid is asking his father why he left max's actual father turns up asking for money and we're brought crushing down back into the like the black and blue and white tones of max's reality it's really cool it's a really interesting way of like flipping between these two like flights of fancy being drawn into your own your own craft so then from there we kind of we flip back to him being on stage at a comic-con panel explaining how lonely it is to be a comic book artist and you know telling anecdotes of the weirdest things that he had to sign at a convention and then after the talk the woman who bought his paintings previously approaches him again and we realize that a month has passed since she previously bought his artwork and she wants to do the same again and also take him out to dinner and then as she does this, we see the page like blossom with color. Um, you know, the background remains the same, like kind of like architect's blue as it was before, but becomes less drab and with all the character that watercolor brings to the page. And so we see them at dinner and she basically reveals that she's an analyst for the CIA, Langley. She's a spy, in fact, 
and she's been watching Max intently. And as she said, she's not a casual fan. Now, I'm not going to say much more because I'm worried about spoiling um, from this point onwards, but the charm and the tension in this comic just keeps shifting gears and, like, the artwork follows as these gears change. Like, for example, immediately after this, the the dinner conversation, as it slowly, as it slowly gets more tense, um, the colour and style of the art becomes more rigid and sparse, and it gives me that... You know that sinking feeling you get when you hear bad news and like the sound in the world suddenly drops out? I felt like it was a, a pictorial representation of that like gut-wrenching feeling. Mm. And like I'm such a sucker for good colour work. Like the colours in this are exceptional. I, I mean I love watercolours generally, especially ones which are vibrant because yeah. it's hard I feel like it's it's I feel like the first thing you think of with watercolours isn't vibrancy, you think of like um washed out, pastely, like calming colours. But this one it has like, it doesn't dive into neon, but it wallows, like, really luxuriously in these romantic, bold pinks and purples and yellows in, like, one particularly memorable scene before, again, crashing back down into these blueprint tones of his everyday life. Yeah. there's it's a, really um, good. Yeah. Sorry, I was going to say, there's a comic mm. that, when you talk about watercolours, comes to mind. It's one that I've talked about on here previously called Underwinter. Okay. By Ray Forks. I don't know if you ever checked uh, check that out after I talked about it. Um, I'm not sure I have, no. but that is that is in, uh, entirely on watercolors, um, cool. and it's great. Yeah, yeah, and I like that this this one switches between the two and then like blends them all in. And um, there's you know there's some theme going on because it relates back to the the artwork that's happening in universe. Yeah. Um, and aside from all of this, because you know I'm not I'm trying not to give away too much about where the plot goes, but. I feel like there must be some level of autobiography to this because it's written by comic book writers and artists and it's a story about being a comic book writer and artist and how, you know, how lonely it is and how, um, you know, just the, the low expectations, I guess, you have and, like, the the, the fictionalised romance you have of being um, an artist who has all these fans but, you know, you still have to eat and uh, his his peers are really jealous of the fact that this woman has dropped all this cash on, on his artwork. And it's just, it's interesting. I want to see where I want to see more of this thing. Like I like, I like stories that are about writers by writers, you know, sometimes mm. like, especially when they're done right. Cause sometimes it can be a bit, um, it can be a bit draining or like it yeah. wallows too much in it. But this, I feel like I want to see what touches of, I don't know, like, it's just the 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 sadness that comes with following your dreams maybe i don't know i feel, I feel like there's going to be a part of that because what what this is it's it's a um i feel like it's an adventure story because it's him being taken out of his you know he enjoys what he does but he's being taken out of the mundanity of his work and being whisked away on this adventure mm. um and I, yeah i'm just looking forward to seeing more of it um so yeah that was that's called cover and that's that's in shops now. Uh, yeah, number yeah. one. Awesome. You should check that out. Um, did you give us the creative team? I did, right at the top. Yeah. I can oh. go through it again. Um, it's basically yeah. uh, Brian Michael Bendis and David Mack are the main creators of this. Yeah. Is this the um, is this part of the uh, Brian, Mac- Brian Michael Bendis' own imprint thing? I'm doing. not sure. It, they, there's a mention of something called Jinx World. Yes, it is then. Yeah. Yeah. And um, to to be on that point, um, towards the end of this comic, there's some more really 
bloody gorgeous uh, like watercolor work. There's a Superman one variant cover which I just adore. Like it's it's so cool with um, you don't see any of the features, but it, you know obviously Superman is an iconic figure just from his silhouette, from his hair, and obviously from the logo on his chest. You know who he is, and he's um, the backdrop behind him is like these splashes of blue and orange and red. And it's just ah, oh, it's so cool. That sounds really awesome. Yeah, I think there's a there's a, a Batman one I think you'd really love where it's yeah. the silhouettes of um, Selina and Bruce. Oh, sorry, Catwoman and Batman. You can um, call them Selina and Bruce, but you they're in their they costumes. Are. Like it's it, yeah. it's Batman silhouette and it's Catwoman yeah. silhouette. I'm but, I'm on first um, name terms with these guys, dude. It's fine. <laughs> well, you've been to their weddings. So, <laughs> yeah. But it's it's basically relating to the um, the the wedding. Uh, storyline because it's their silhouette and inside their silhouette you see joker's face um in this in like really creepy watercolor yeah and like scratched in around the the silhouettes is you are cordially invited on this day to this ceremony to bear Mm. witness to this pledge of love and then scrawled over the faces is like happily ever after and forever it's i'd have to send you this it it looks amazing yeah send me that and that's by david mack i believe because it's got his stamp at the bottom right corner yeah that sounds cool. Um, yeah, so that was cover number one. And um, that brings me on to something a little bit left of field uh, for me. Well, not left of field, but it came out of the left of field for me anyway. Because, I mean, I don't really um, read as much Japanese comics as I should. And... I stumbled across something called Batmanga, um, which are the Batman comics published in Japan by uh, Jiro Kawata. Um, And these are an entirely separate thing. Something that came out of a craze, um, a Batman craze in Japan, born in the 1960s um, after the... You know the old Adam West Batman TV show? That was shipped over to Japan and the Japanese loved it. And there was a huge craze for Batman out of that. And uh, the um, a Japanese uh, magazine publisher, um, they uh, Shonen King, I believe they were called, went to DC and struck a deal with DC for the rights to make their own Batman comics. And thus we have these completely separate, uh, completely unique Japanese Batman comics from the 1960s, which are absolutely brilliant. Um, And they were kind of like a a hidden thing for such a long time. Like not a lot of people in the West knew of their existence. And it was something that it, it, you know, it, it is something that is unique to Japan, uniquely Japanese Batman comics that have no bearing or how do i say it um no they've they've got no bearing or 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 i can't find the word i want i want to say effect but i don't think it's effect or they're not necessarily related yes yes that's it no bearing in relation to the western batman stories yes that's it they're completely Mm. in their own bubble Mm. um and they're really really good um and i've been reading through them because they've got uh, i've got the there's three volumes three chunky manga volumes um, that collect the whole thing unabridged. So in 1966, they fell in love with the sort of like 
outlandish and light-hearted uh, Adam West Batman series. And uh, they kind of took that and took some elements of Japanese superhero design and storytelling and some influence from the Batman comics of the time. Um, and all of these ingredients kind of like came together to create something completely unique, which are these Batman books. And it's it's really good because I can I can see like uh, the the silliness and the outlandishness of the uh, Adam West Batman in there. I can see um, like Japanese like you know like Carmen Rider that type of stuff. Mm, that yeah. kind of influence in there as well. Uh, I can see the the influence taken from the Batman comics, and it's something. It just comes together to be really cool, and it's this like really nice sort of like classic Japanese manga art. Um, the stories themselves are really good, really sim, uh, really, um, really thrilling, like adventure stories with some, like, really sort of like silly Batman sixty six twists. Things that that you can fully imagine happening on the screen to Adam West, you know, <laughs> like. Um, there's like a, a whole point in one of the stories where they decide to go to Jamaica to forget about everything that's happened, but they can't forget about it, even in Jamaica. And Batman still has nightmares or something. I don't know. And it's just <laughs> what? <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's this uh, like they have unique villains as well. They have their own unique villains in this. Like the the villains are, um, I think, save for one, uh, who is kind of like a riff on something that appeared in a, a US Batman book. Um, all of them are pretty much unique to this manga, and it is it's brilliant. It's like this this classic uh, classic manga that's just absolutely it's just absolutely fantastic. Like I'm scrolling through it. some some Google images for this, like just googling Batmanga and seeing what comes up. Yeah, and it does have that thing that I really like about Japanese manga where. I feel like it's the antithesis of what you normally find in yeah. Western Batman comics, you know, because yeah. they're so they, they dive so deep into that brooding, dark, um, yeah. like dense, uh, like misery of Gotham City. Yeah. Whereas in the manga, because it's black and white and because it's, you know, printed relative, or, you know, generally the idea is that it's printed cheaply onto paper initially. Um, like it has that really bold, easy to read. Yeah. Like that read that readability you get from manga where mm. it's mostly action oriented. Yeah. Um, just seeing that, like, I've uh, there's a page I found where it's Batman and Robin, like, um, descending down a building by uh, grabbing onto the poles that and swinging off flagpoles. Yeah, yeah, swinging off flagpoles. Yeah. and it's so kinetic and it has that yeah. that amazing manga like anime feel that I love. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I've seen these lying around and I've just never, just never got around to. Oh no, they're great. Them. And I, there's like a whole reference book about the the craze in Japan that was written and published here, which is what gave way to these finally being published in full. Oh, okay. Because uh, there's excerpts of the manga in this reference in this book, um, and it's just I need to get this book really because I need to understand more about it because I, I would this... just love to know. Mm. Do you know um, what the book is called? The book is literally called um, Bat Manga: The Secret History of Batman in Japan. Okay. And it was published in 2008. And it was designed by a fella called Chip Kidd with the assistance of photographer Jeff Spear. Okay. And it's got like a, it's got the Shonen manga adaptation of, Japan, of Batman in, which is what I'm talking about here. Plus like 
you know, some referency stuff about it, like uh, all kinds of things to do with like the memorabilia and everything else. And like, and it's, it's incredible because this manga was only printed for a year. You know, it, it, it was printed um, between 66 and 67 and were never compiled. It was never compiled into a, vo- into volume format. Oh wow! Okay. So yeah, um, uh, it's just like this this pheno- this Batman phenomenon in Japan, and and gave way to these truly unique Batman comics that really are something special. And like you're saying, yeah, it's got this light heartedness about it because it is based on the Batman sixty six stuff, and it's mm. it's completely unique because it has the Japanese superhero template pasted over it, um, where it's it's um, it's got that kind of like. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's very Batman still because Batman doesn't have powers; he has gadgets and things, and it's obviously heavily, heavily influenced by Batman sixty six. But it's um, it's got that whole uh, how do I put it? Um, the the sort of um, the optimism and grandioseness of Japanese superhero stuff, mm. like, and uh, you've got like to mention a few of the things like you said there's that page where they swing down the flagpoles and like i said they go to jamaica on holiday um there's a a bit where um there's a guy who is uh he's one of the villains um in the manga um dr faceless i believe he's called um Mm. has he's like his face is all scarred up and kind of missing like and he goes on a rampage through the city trying to destroy everything that has a face. Like, as he says in the book, you know, not even clock faces are safe. You know, he has to destroy clock faces as well. And uh, the, in, in, you know, like uh, Mount Rushmore. <laughs> yeah. There's a there's a, a mountain in Gotham with a big Batman head carved into it. <laughs> of course there is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like that kind of stuff. Just Just everything, right. you know. <laughs> And it it's just so cool and so unique, and I, I just I've just been loving it because I've just been loving reading these like these nice light hearted adventure stories featuring Batman. I love the idea that even watch faces aren't safe. That's, that's brilliant. <laughs> even clock faces aren't safe. Yeah. yeah, it's great. He's like he has to destroy everything that's got a face. <laughs> but there's like a really cool twist in that one, so that's cool. Okay. And yeah, it's, it, that's that's the really good thing about it as well. It keeps like you know how most Batman stories have these like really epic twists. Mm. Well, he's like really cool twists to them sometimes. Like this has the really cool twists. So yeah, and it's um, yeah, no, it's brilliant, and it's a nice little look at or a, a, a nice little time capsule, I guess, for um, a period in time in Japan, this craze, this Japanese Batman craze, and I, I believe this pretty much encapsulates everything around that, and is the sort of like the one thing that came out of it that will now sit on the shelves of history as a as a thing that is completely unique and it's interesting to um to read this and to try and understand where this came from and to see batman through such a unique lens you know like to have like something that you already have an established idea of turned on its head yeah, seeing how somebody yeah. else takes it and treats yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, because like I said, these are these are completely produced within a bubble almost. Mm-hmm. Like all they had to go on was Batman sixty six, and obviously, you know, maybe they had some some airing of what Batman, you know, like from other Batman comics, and 
because I can see there's a little bit of influence in there of what Batman should be and everything else, but it still mm. manages to be something entirely new. It's great. So yeah, that is uh, the Batmanga, which are, well, the original Japanese title is just simply Batman and uh, written and illustrated by Jiro Kawata. So yeah, check those out. There's three volumes available and they're all really good and really fun. And I guess that brings us on to our final comic, doesn't it? Yeah, something we both read. Yeah. Um, well, I read on your recommendation. Yep. Yeah. And that is a new book published by Vertigo called uh, Vertigo, 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 mm. called Border Town, uh, which came out um, last week, which was Wednesday the fifth of September. Um, and now this one deals with. Um, issues like a, like a hot issue at the moment in uh, with, with the hot issue of immigration um, and of uh, particularly immigration surrounding the uh, the Mexican American border, which um, we've talked about a little bit previously with that um, with <coughs> Brian K. Vaughan book. book. Yeah, which was called Border. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, this kind of centers around a, a, a similar central theme, I guess. Um, sort of. <laughs> I don't think it handled it quite as deftly. No, it doesn't handle Brian it as deftly. It's, 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 like, it, it's like if the Brian K. Vaughan book was a blunt instrument. Yeah. A heavy yeah, blunt that's, instrument, yeah. It's a good way to put it. It's yeah. as if the, it was as if the Brian K. Vaughan book was less a book and really, really comic-y. Yeah. Like, it's a really comic-y book comic. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing, by the way, guys. Because... It... Not inherently. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I'm not... Yeah, because we, we, we like stuff to be comic-y. But hmm. this, I mean, it's great, but it's not without... It doesn't come without its uh, without its hang-ups, I guess. Um, yeah. And, yeah, so it's, it's kind of... Uh, book opens and you've got this kid who is... Well, can I interrupt before yeah, we get into it. what the plot's about? Yeah. Do you want to describe the cover? Because before I'd read any content, I was sold on this book just on the fact that it's, it's I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's a... Um, Do you want me to describe like it a, in, in one well, word? It's like, a, it's, it's like a teen drama DVD cover. Yeah. It's kind of like yeah. The Breakfast Club if there was also a huge guy wearing a luchador mask and a mutant gremlin in the middle. Like, it's it's really cool. It's got, like, you know, the archetypes of... Um, you know, the girl uh, sat down with her hands tucked around her knees and like the dude with a skateboard and but, you know, in the middle of the desert with an alien in the middle. Yeah. Well, he's not an super alien. sold. He's a, well, he's a super cobra. But yeah, um, the the um, do you know what do you know what came to mind for me as soon as I saw this, this cover? Yeah. Do you remember an so, old uh, cartoon called Recess? Oh, yeah. Recess. <laughs> Like grown up, grim, dark, <laughs> vibrant recess. Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> TJ Detweiler with his skateboard. Yeah, I can see it. Right, just dishing out lessons. All right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I know. It just it just it felt like recess. I don't know. I just looked at it and then I just went, "Is this recess?" Kind of thing. Just like in my head, I was like, "What?" But yeah, no. Um, so that I don't know why that came to mind. It just did. I think it's just it's just like the oh look, group of kids and one of them's really big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it might just be that. like multicultural cast of kids who are like staring out at the screen, and one of them's huge, and one of them's a goblin. 
<laughs> Sorry, Chupacabra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so... Um, and I think what your comment was when I showed you the cover was, did someone just base a comic cover on Polaroids of your attic or what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's that's immediately what I thought. I thought this is the greggiest <laughs> book I've gregged in a greg while. Because <laughs> <laughs> I do own a luchador mask. Of course, yeah. I mean, you own, you own more than one, don't lie. <laughs> I've only got one. I've only got one each. Oh, really? Mask, I think. Do you, have, do you have a bum bag? Or, sorry, a fanny pack, as our American friends would call it. No, I don't. No? Maybe I should oh, get okay. one, though. I think you should. I think, I think, you know what? I think I've actually got the stuff to potentially do a, like, a, a kind of, like, budgety cosplay of that. <laughs> <laughs> No, you would just be dressing as yourself, Greg. <laughs> well, I don't usually wear socks and sandals, but the shorts and the t-shirt and the luchador mask, that's me. <laughs> it's you from the waist up. Let's, let's say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'd be like a miniature version of him, but yeah. Um, <laughs> now you can talk about the comic. Proceed. Yeah, now, now I can talk about the comic. Okay. So when you get past this amazing cover... Um, this this bright orange, vibrant cover with this kind of like hyper detailed artwork on it that's really cool. Um, it it kind of feels a little bit old school when I look at it. Um, and uh, you see the Vertigo label on it, and you're like, yeah, Vertigo, woo, Vertigo. And then you open it up, and you're like, oh, Vertigo. Um, because the book opens, and uh, we've got some dudes on a border patrol. Um, they're the uh, the MAGA types, I guess, is the easiest way to put it. Um, and they're handing out weapons and getting each other worked up, you know, ready to do something horrible under the cover of darkness on the uh, Mexican-American border. Um, I mean, just to point out, <coughs> they are literally the MAGA types because yeah, one of them yeah. yells, make, Amer- make America great again, motherfucker, yeah. while firing into the air. Don't With their on. mission... Yeah, don't tread on me on his t-shirt and like very very the... clanny, very clanny looking. Don't tread on me t-shirt. Unbelievably, yeah, yeah. Um... And with their goal explicitly to mm. keep out the illegals, right? Can you because they see... make this comment? Yeah, yeah, about keeping out illegals and make America great again, motherfucker. Which is actually mm. one of the things in a speech bubble in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can actually see on this dude's jacket, the dude wearing the very clanny "Don't tread on me" t-shirt. Um, he's got like a little badge with a Pepe on it. I don't know if you noticed. Oh my god! Yeah, I just saw it. <laughs> yep. Uh huh. Um, so Wonderful. these guys, these guys are yeah scumbags. Um, and uh, as we go through the book, um, we next page we've got a, a Mexican family trying to make their way across the border safely, and um, I think that's where things start to go a bit sideways because uh, all of a sudden, um these guys turn up in their truck and before they can do something terrible, something terrible has already happened. And this is at the hands of this, uh, this beast, this chupacabra thing that appears to feed off the, uh, fears and bring those fears to life, the fears of the people and bring them to life. And, uh, all of a sudden <clears throat> the same thing, well, they basically meet their end as well. Uh, the bad guy, the uh, these uh, these scum of the earth types from the front of the book. Um, cue uh, like an early morning kind of sunrisey type thing going on, uh, and we've got um, a young guy 
um, with his mother and his mother's long-distance boyfriend making their way in a U-Haul to their new home. Um, Now, he's obviously not very keen on the idea of this happening, and uh, there's something I picked on. Something weird happens with the radio when when the radio is turned on in the car, Um, but that's kind of, like, brushed aside because, but it, it, like, his eyes go black and stuff and some weird message comes out of the radio, some kind of weird frequency or something that obviously we're going to learn more about that if we, you know, as you, as you carry on through the issues of this book. Um, and, uh, it causes him to spontaneously bleed and that is brushed aside as a side effect of the climate because they're going to a place called devil's fork, which I believe is in, uh, Arizona. Yes. Yeah, because they're moving yeah. to a border town in Arizona. Yeah. Yes, and um, yeah, we've got this uh, these two uh, kind of like wolf ball creatures picking on the corpse of uh, the young girl that was killed on the previous page, um, and that that's the story. So this he's like the new kid in town. He turns up at high school, and um, he's uh, he meets this kind of motley crew that we see on the front cover here. Um, including this uh, this big dude in a luchador mask, who um, is kind of like this like um, really cool gentle giant type character. Actually, I like him. Yeah, gentle giant is a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's some more kind of like uh, blunt instrument coming in here because uh, we also get to meet the local uh, local Nazi kids. Yeah, you you know your friendly local Nazi. Local Nazi punk kid, yeah, yeah, who comes who, and fist bumps you on your first day because yeah. of white, <laughs> and he obviously didn't realise he was a Nazi. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and then later on in the book, they get into a fight, and it's just this is what's happening so far. But at the same time, in the background, while all this is happening, while we've got all this like uh, tension um, going on um, with being on the border and everything that comes with that, the the fear, the racism, the all these tensions that come with living on a border town, we've got something else going on in the background, mm. some some kind of um, supernatural threat. Um, this chupacabra creature from before has um, been making its way around town, claiming victims by becoming their worst fear. Um, and this is actually a really cool page. I like this page, where it shows you the various forms that this creature takes, um, specifically one of the bottom panels where he turns into Bane. <laughs> With yeah. uh, Pina Duro written on his knuckles, and um, like takes out a, bat- a kid who's a Batman fan, basically who was reading Nightfall, because mm. uh, I noticed that <laughs> on the cover of the book, it's a Nightfall book. Well, um, that 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 splash page, it kind of it it lays down the theme of the entire book because yeah. uh, the narration over it is old wounds reopened, and it's showing the the monster as a border patrol and like modern day racism and then ancient threats returned. And it's, you know, it shows him dressed as a Tiki torch Nazi, which I thought was an interesting, you know, ancient yeah. threat returned is, a, is an interesting way to put that um, obscuring their true form. And it's like a, a hoodie teen. And then a woman with, you know, clutching her pearls saying, Oh, look out, it's a hoodie teen. And then yeah. your, uh, your greatest fear Bane to a Batman kid, um, well, Batman fan kid. And like, yeah. Some of it hits really well, and some of it just completely misses the mark. I feel, mm. especially the stuff like, like equating. I guess it's showing everybody's individual greatest fears, and to show that one person's greatest fear is a tiki torch Nazi, and another woman's fear is a hooded teenager is just. Yeah, I, yeah, I get. I, 
reassessing it right this moment i actually like that a lot more than i did the first time around yeah same yeah the the second mm. read is it's it's better than because the first read it comes off really like in your face and really sort of too in your face like so in your face that it misses the point for trying to be in your face or it's so in your face that it's almost like it's equating all four of those things as yeah. being as equal threats but they're clearly not mm. but i yeah i guess on second read it is trying to make a point about that yeah and um an old wound has been reopened. The progression there from Border Patrol to Tiki Torch Nazi. Hmm. Um, to uh, a teenager. Um, kind of like an old wound has been reopened, letting loose an ancient threat upon the modern world. Like, it's not an ancient threat. It's something that's been there in the background the whole time. It's just got balls again. But hmm. yeah, you know... Um, that's kind of like I can kind of see what it was trying to go for there, mm. like the progression of um, letting something in and then it metastasizes or whatever. Mm. But I don't know um, if you can understand where I'm trying to come from with that. Um, and we've got um, so like it, 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 the story sort of progresses this way and. Um, we're kind of like it, the supernatural element is kind of like alluded to more and more and more and more. And this whole thing comes to a head at the end of the book. And, um, we are treated to a view of the supernatural world, the Aztec underworld, which I thought was really cool. Um, now there's some, I mean, like as, as far as the story goes, like when we were saying here, it's, um, it's supernatural and it's like really topical and contemporary. Um, it tries, I think sometimes, I think, I think in places in the book, like I've said, I've already said, it's trying too hard in, in trying to plumb for shock value, I guess, um, or to be in your face. It's a little too in your face and ends up missing the point, I guess, is what we're trying to get out here. Is that right, Ray? Yeah, there's that. And it's also, I'm going to use one of Leon's favorite works, words. Like, it, it's trying really hard to be didactic. It's trying, yeah. like, there's one scene where this kid, our protagonist, is um, on his first day at school. And, you know, he's had this encounter with a Nazi that he didn't realize, you know, he shouldn't befriend. And he clearly doesn't, he doesn't have those leanings. That yeah. The first thing, when somebody, when these two, these two girls come up to him and ask him, are you this type? Are you a Nazi? And he's like, of course not. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Um, and like they turn to him and say, prove you're not a racist. And then we have a whole full page of him saying, well, you know, here's this thing that I do. Here's this Japanese thing that I enjoy. Here's this Indian thing I enjoy. Yeah. Um, here's this black thing I enjoy. Oh, and I'm half Mexican. And like, it's kind of having, it's trying to have its cake and eat it because it's him saying just because I'm passing as white doesn't mean, you know, like, and I'm half Mexican. And he shouts into the school. And in the corner of the panel, we have one of the girls that he was talking saying, oh my fucking God. Like, you know, it's trying to express this thing but also um deride the fact that he's you know shouting it out as though it's a badge you know and yeah. like he does he, it has this whole commentary where it's like um it's almost like time stops uh, and you can ignore the rest of the classroom and he's talking you know they're having this dialogue with this girl that he's talking to and she points out no you're not half mexican um 
you're not half Mexican, you're not half Irish, because that makes you sound like you're the world's shittiest centaur. You're yeah. Mexican, and you're Irish, and you're American, and you're all three fully, and all three simultaneously, yeah. 300%. And, like, it's a cool sentiment, but I feel like it's so on the nose that it's almost taking the piss out of it. And yeah. that's the feeling I got reading it. Um, as someone who can, you know, semi-relate to, to the concept that it's trying to get across, like, there's there's more subtle ways or there's more interesting or less, I don't know. There's, there's ways that you could do this where you can't have the wrong person take it and run with it in the wrong direction. And that's the thing that I don't like about this. I feel like it's, it's too far down the middle, even though it's clearly decrying, you know, bigotry. Mm. And I just, I just don't know. I don't know how I, I don't know if I, if I can enjoy it because of that. Yeah. It's, it's got a, a, you know, it, it, it the heart of the message is really good, and it, it's it's all there. It just does it. Well, I don't I don't know if the heart of the message is that great because yeah. it's showing that this kid who you know is is wrongly assumed to be on the wrong side, you know, because he yeah he's all he's almost immediately befriended by these nazis and he tells them to yeah you know to back off and he his way of dealing with it is violence and you know he beats the shit out of this nazi and it's there's all these things where i don't see him as an aspirational figure and maybe i'm not supposed to maybe you i'm know, reading too much yeah. of the wrong things but i don't i personally don't need this story in my life in some ways you yeah. know i don't need to see the violent reaction to to this stuff or maybe just not presented in this way I can, by this by yeah. this aggressive teenager like i i just don't yeah. want that i can understand because it's quite an aggressive book super aggressive yeah, yeah i, I so can reveling in its violence i and can understand why it, for some people what looking at that might be catharsis i don't know yeah maybe maybe but, i guess i'm just yeah. not the target audience for this because i'm not getting that like fist pumping Mm. Um, and then, then also the fact that maybe I'm reading too much into this, but like you know, death of the author or whatever. But the fact that it's equating the chupacabra who's you know sneaking back be- beyond its own mystical borders um, to either to find safety or to find nourishment or to escape um, like some uh, tragedy that's happening in its home town or in its home environment. And, you know, making the parallels between that and actual people who are going through actual tragedies. And at the start of the book, these people are the ones we first see eviscerated. Like, it's just too... I feel like it's too much, and it's it's almost enjoying that violence too much while trying to show... You know, putting yeah. your face and saying, hey, look at this, look at this, you know? I don't... I just don't like that presentation that's, of that story. That's what I meant when I said in going for shock value, mm. it loses its way and loses yeah. its point. Um, and it's a shame because I yeah. really like some things like I really like the artwork I aside do. from yeah. all the gore like the, the yeah. style of it is really interesting and yeah I mean, um, like all the colours like it has the Arizona sunset thing yeah. a lot you know it feels like you're in a dust bowl a lot of the time mm. um, I love I love the artwork yeah. the colours are fantastic the artwork's like this hyper detailed um, like fine lines and stuff and everything's really um everything's really considered and spot on as far as the artwork concern is concerned and so just some really cool like really cool panels in there um it does have that like um organic yeah like naturalistic line work everywhere you know where you yeah. can see the uh like the creases in people's clothing but it's not yeah. it's not done in a way to show you the shape of anything it's showing like 
just the the general imperfection of the world and like everything's nothing straight nothing is yeah. you know rigid or and that's geometric that's, that's what i like everything is you know imperfect mm. in that way and it's great like even down to like there's a good panel actually that sort of like shows a close-up of uh, an old woman's face yeah and that's really cool with all the lines in her face and stuff when you see that mm. um and there's some uh towards the end of the book actually when we get to see the uh the aztec underworld i think is where it really shines because that's when it gets really colorful and really cool yeah the colors in that are trippy yeah. i like the like the effused light and everything that comes through from there and just yeah. the monster design in general is pretty cool as well yeah yeah i i think it, i think there's some really cool moments in it i just think that for trying to be in your face it loses its point and it's got some really cool bright neon colors going on it's um you know even even like uh some of the letter works really good like oh yeah i like with, like yeah some of the onomatopoeia is really good yeah, like there's yeah. a wham with the with the spanish uh, exclamation marks where it's yeah. one's upside down and one's the yeah uh, the normal the, the way up that we see it yeah and mm-hmm. it's just yeah some of it's really great in that way but um i think it gets lost in its own um its own uh desire to to shock i guess uh, and that's that's where it loses what could have been something great and a really great message. Um, it they could have it could have been um, instead of instead of being such a blunt instrument, if it had been honed a little more. I think I think this could have been so much better than it is. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think I could agree with you. I think yeah. it's the I think it's the. Um... Like you said, the blunt instrument, the uh, the way that it's given, the way that it's provided, and it just like smacks you on the head with it. I, yeah. If if it if it had led into it and it was more of like this tragic tale, I think I would be on board. But then maybe that's just my sensibility. I mean, I I, I, I like, can get so. where it's coming from, and I get that it's probably if I was if I was the age of the kids in this book, I might be able to buy into the fury a bit more. Mm, yeah. I think I think maybe maybe now I'm older and wiser. I mean, obviously, I, I still agree with the core message of it that, you know... Punch a Nazi. Yeah, Nazi yeah exactly. But, yeah, fair enough. But I, you know, I'm... I agree with... I'm not... I, I can't buy into the, the fury and the anger anymore like I could have done when I was a, a teenager. I mean, I guess I, I guess I can still get... I can still get furious and angry about racism and things like that, and I still hate that stuff, you know. I, I still agree with the core message. I just can't buy into this book in in the same way that i would have done i guess i think is what I'm i do to have say. To, if if i'm divorcing myself from how i i personally feel about its presentation i do like the idea of showing a story about a kid who is sick of being misrepresented as an ally to bad people mm, yeah and so i want to see i kind of want to see where that goes i want to see how he develops because hopefully it yeah. is the thing where in issue one we see him as an angry teenager who's been ripped away from his home and he just wants to punch the shit out of something yeah. and like how he i i'm hoping um like you know assuming the best faith in something i'm hoping that this book will go in a direction where it's him learning to deal with that yeah and what it means for him to be passing as one thing but really you know having these re- a quite a strong moral center yeah mm-hmm. no i i like it and i you know i I like this. I do at, at the end of the day do want to read number 2 still. I will be picking this up yeah. as a volume. I'm not going to be picking up the individual issues, I think. Yeah. 
Um, but um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. But yeah, it's just it's just a shame that it does miss the mark in such a way by being too blunt and too in your face. But yeah, otherwise, otherwise it's great. The artwork's fantastic, and everything else about it's fine. It's fantastic. Um, but that was Border Town number one, and that is uh, Vertigo Comics, uh, Vertigo through DC. And so the story is by Eric M. Esquivel. Art is by Ramon Villalobos. Um, colors are by Tamra Bon Bonvillain. Yep. Um, lettering by Darren Bennett. Uh, variant cover by Jorge Jimenez, I believe. Yep. Um, logo design. See, this is what I was talking about earlier. Logo design, Nessim Higson. Yep. Um, and then the editors, Andy Curry and Maggie Howell. Yeah. Um, yeah, lo- logo design. And it is a cool logo. It's I must a very say. cool logo. Yeah. yeah. Very cool logo. But yeah, and, and uh, yeah, it's it's just it's just a shame because it could have been so much cooler and we you know but i mean i still i still enjoyed it and i still i still i get it but at the same time i i just don't um i think i just don't uh yeah like, i'm going we, to assume yeah. the best intentions and yeah, see where it yeah, goes yeah, yeah exactly yeah that's what i'm going to do as well so that was border town number 1 and that brings us to the end of our comics for this week um and I guess it's pull this time. Is that right, Ray? It is, yeah. So yeah. what are you planning on reading for the next few weeks? So um, I've got a few things that I've just kind of like picked off from the next two weeks of comics uh, that are things that I'm kind of looking a little bit forward to. I say a little bit forward to, a lot forward to. <laughs> so, I mean, this week we're going to start with... Uh, there's only one this week that I've kind of picked up that's new, that's not something that's one of my regular pulls. Um, and that is uh, Mystery Science Theatre 3000, the comic. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, Mystery Science Theatre, right? This this whole yeah. thing where they riff on old films and whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's coming to comics and um, that could be quite, something quite interesting, actually. Wait, are they taking like public domain comics and then commenting over them? Exactly like the way that. They do them? Exactly. Seriously. That. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a cool idea. Okay. Yeah. So that that is exactly why I'm interested in it. So um, yeah, it's uh, mystery science theater, but comics. So um, King of Forrester pairs her King of Chrome liquid medium with her latest invention, the Bubula R. Jonah Heston, Crow, T-Robot and Tom Servo find themselves thrust into the 2D world of public domain comics with riffing as their only defence. So how do you like that? That sounds pretty cool to me. Even yep. though, unlike the cinema stuff where I, I I like schlocky old movies, I'm not so sure I like schlocky old comics, but I'll I'll, I'll give this a go. Well, we'll cool. see. I, I like schlocky old comics. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> um, but yeah... Um, so we've got um, a creative team of uh, Harold Burchaltz, uh, Matt McGuinness, Seth Robinson, Wes Dizioba, um, Todd Nook, Joe Hodgson, Mary Robinson, Shaul Vope, Mike Manley and Steve Vance, who does a variant cover. So that's like a plethora of writers and artists. I'm assuming some of those might be the original writers and artists of the public domain comics that they use. Okay, yeah. Because I'm not sure, I'm not, yeah. Because I think what they do is they um, they sort of like add themselves into the public domain books, mm. like edit it in kind of thing. Um, 
which is kind of interesting. So yeah, this is an interesting ex- uh, experiment, I guess. And uh, I want to see it. So yeah, Mystery Science Theatre 3000. So I lied actually when I said that the only thing I'm pick- <laughs> that I picked off my list to talk about was that because um, there's actually Scales and Scoundrels number 12 as well, which um, is going to be the last one. It's going to oh, be the last one. Book. I know, yeah. I know, and I'm I'm break so your heart. <laughs> I'm so heartbroken that it's ending. I've been pretty um, vocal on Twitter about how heartbroken I was when it got announced that it was ending. <laughs> um, yeah, twelve issues. And it had a good run. Yeah, but it's, I I mean, you know, I I understand that they had to end it, that they had to, <laughs> uh, they got to do what they got to do, and. Um, you know, it, I respect their decision to kind of like, because they, I, I, they call it an ending, but I'm not sure if it's an ending and more of a hiatus. I don't know oh, okay. from the way that I've seen uh, Sebastian Gurner talking on Twitter hmm. about what's going on with it. They hope to bring it back at some point in the future, I think is the idea. I mean, that happens a lot in comics. You yeah. Know, so for now, it's it's an ending for now. Hmm. Of uh, one of the best comics of the past year. Hmm. And that is Scales and Scoundrels. And um, this is something that I, when I first picked it up, I grabbed it on a whim last year. um, Hmm. And was instantly spellbound by the beautiful artwork and these wonderful Dungeons and Dragons-y adventure stories. And... I've just loved every second of it, like every second of it. Um, every every single panel, every line in this book, I can't I, I, uh, gush about how much I love it. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> it's the last one, um, so I will certainly be picking that up. And it's a really somber cover as well because it's kind of like this pitch black cover, apart from this stone statue of one of the characters sitting in the middle of it and then the logo scales and scoundrels underneath yes ah you've got to hold back the tears greg because if you cry on it i was gonna say you're okay greg you'll ruin the comic (laughs) (laughs) you know it's just yeah yeah don't cry onto your comic yeah (laughs) i mean similarly for the same week I've got one, which is Met Cadet U number 12, which is also an ending after 12 issues. Um, Although I don't think I'm that sad about it. I think I like endings more than you do. I'm looking forward to this not dragging on. I want to see a conclusion to a story and, you know, to all these characters that I really like. Um, I haven't caught up with the last few Met Cadets, so... Yeah, I think it's going to be good. I'm going to get to binge the last few and then actually have an ending instead of, you know, having a... Yeah, endings I mean, are a bittersweet thing for me. Hmm. Because, I mean, especially with this, because I know that it's kind of premature and was probably meant to carry on longer. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But at the same time, on the 12th, yeah. there's another comic coming out that I thought you'd be all over, which is Star Trek versus Transformers. Right? <laughs> now, I saw that. I did see it. Um, I think if I was more into Star Trek, I'd probably <laughs> be picking that up. That's not the way you reacted when I first told you about that comic. <laughs> you, you were like, piss off. I don't want that. <laughs> I wasn't but, quite that bad. Maybe maybe but, I've gotten more cynical because I used to like these kind of things a lot more than I do now. I think I've just gotten jaded with it. 
but it's definitely something you pick up in volume and just flick through to see if yeah. it's your thing. You don't you don't pick it up from the start. I can <laughs> be. Least, I mean, if you're not a fan of both properties, you don't pick it up. From I the mean, start. I've yeah. picked up previous IDW crossover stuff, and it's it's been really fun. Hmm. I just don't see myself picking this one up. I think it's because I'm not invested in Star Trek in any way. Yeah, same here. Yeah. Otherwise, it looks quite cool. The art <clears throat> looks really good. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, you know, I love Transformers. I'm just not invested enough in Star Trek for that to be worthwhile for me. Hmm. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, if it was, you... if it was Transformers TMNT, I'd be all over that. <laughs> you know, you've been all but, over that. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Um, what were you going to ask me? You, you were going to ask me a question. No, if you had anything else for the 12th. No, no, that's it. Just those two are the two that I picked out from my pull list. Okay, well, aside from Mechadent You, um, my pick would have been Cemetery Beach, yep. which is a new Warren Ellis book. Uh, Warren Ellis of Transmetropolitan. And um, actually, I don't think I've read anything else of his, but I know that Transmetropolitan is really good. Uh, so I'm curious to see what, what this does. I don't really know much about it apart from the cover. It looks really cool black and white and a splash of red and it's like two people running away from what looks like a really creepy mansion so yeah yeah um and that will bring us on to the following week unless you've got anything else you want to come up with no i I mean i think i mentioned something called viewotron the other episode or the other cast we recorded yeah i don't think it came out yet um but i think it might be coming out the 12th now so there's that cool so we've got um on the 19th, which is like the following week now, uh, which is also Thought Bubble Week, and we'll come to that in a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've got a book called Batman Damned, which is the first of the DC Black Label stuff. Um, and I think DC Black Label is like DC Dark, basically. Um, the easiest way to describe it, it's DC printing stuff that they probably wouldn't normally be able to get away with in their normal um their normal runs with the, with these characters basically it's kind of like um more violent more visceral more um i think it's supposed to be yeah that that's literally it's supposed to be more violent and a bit more like um uh adult um is probably the best way to put it so um this um well we'll read the blurb for it so the joker is dead there's no doubt about that but whether batman finally snapped his scrawny neck or some other sinister force in gotham city did the deed is still a mystery problem is batman can't remember and the more he digs into this labyrinthian case the more his mind starts to doubt everything he's uncovering so who better to set him straight than john constantine problem with that is as much as john loves a good mystery he loves messing with people's heads even more so with John's help, the pair will delve into the sordid underbelly of Gotham as they race towards the mind-blowing truth of who murdered the Joker. Um, and it's going to be bi-monthly. And uh, it's a horror story told by Brian Azzarello and um, Lee Bermergio. And we've got Jim Lee's done a variant cover for it. So I'm kind of interested in this because Batman's really good when, when Batman does horror. So I really, I really want to see where this is going. The only thing that that kind of like wards me off it slightly is this whole DC Black Label thing, because that's the part of it that I don't know about. Like, I mean, I love Batman. I love when Batman does horror. Horror is really good. Set in Gotham. I just don't know. 
I mean, I know what DC Black Label is kind of is kind of supposed to be. I just don't know what it really means yet. And like, I don't want to be. Um, I don't. I don't want this to to, ha- to 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 lose itself in trying to be like really edgy, you know? Because I think this has potential to be a really cool story. Uh, and I guess that's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about it getting lost in its own edge, if that makes sense. I mean, that's that's a DC issue through and through, though, right? So let's just wait and see where that goes. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! You leave DC alone. <laughs> I didn't say. I didn't say nothing. <laughs> What what else have you got then? Speaking of like edgy and dark, I quite I quite like the idea of this, but I, it's the DC Black Label thing that puts me off. I don't know why DC have to do the DC Black Label, but we'll see. Um, the other stuff that I'm looking at for that week, we've got Ice Cream Man number seven, which I'm always looking forward to these, and I will always mention them when they're coming out. <laughs> uh, and this one, the story is called My Little Poltergeist, um, and the blurb here <laughs> says. Another sullen sequential short. Here's a little girl's best friend comes back from the dead. Or does she? It's hard to say. Ghosts being an unreliable sort. <laughs> so, what do we make of that, Ray? I mean, it's Ice Cream Man. I'm going to pick it up. It yeah, great. exactly. Yeah, I'm going to pick it up. <laughs> I just yeah. I just wondered if you had any kind of bearing on what direction that's going to go in. I have, you know what? I I feel like you think that I know more about the horror genre than I actually do. Where do you think it's going? Well, either they're going to think that she's crazy and lock her away because they're going to think she's talking to an invisible friend, <laughs> or yeah. it's going to end in some really uh, kind of horrible, sad way where maybe the other girl will die as well. I don't know. Maybe both. <laughs> it's going to be horrible and sad, regardless. Yeah, it's, it's, it's ice, ice cream, cream man. That that yeah. it does what it does. It's it's <laughs> misery sprinkles on a double scoop of horror, which is great. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, and uh, the last one that I had for that week uh, was one that stuck out in the Marvel stable, and that is Infinity Wars: Soldier Supreme. Classified 4F by the military, Stephen Rogers was unable to serve his country in World War II until a secret government program tapping into arcane sorcery transformed him into the Soldier Supreme, the magical warrior embodiment of the American spirit. So this is, what if Captain America was Doctor Strange? (laughs) (laughs) Sold. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) right. So yeah, that's that's where that's going, and that's why I put that on my list. I don't think I need to say much more about that. Um, <laughs> the creative team on that one, we've got uh, Jerry Duggan, um, Adam Kubert, and Humberto Ramos, who has done cover and variant cover. Jerry Duggan is obviously writer, and Adam Kubert is the artist. So yeah, give that one a look. Ray, got anything from you for that week? Um, nothing new, really. I've got Mr. Miracle number 11, but that's that's kind of a given. That's like on Ice Cream Man levels of have to read. Yeah. And then the collected first volume of Skyward, um, which is a number one issue that I spoke about quite a few months ago. It must have been now. Yeah. And um, uh, Mr. Yeah. Miracle number 11 means it's nearly the end. Almost the end. Yeah. yeah. That one I'll be sad about because even though I like endings, I just I love this. I love this book so much. So yeah. I don't want it to end. Mm. I think it's going to be a really cool ending. I'm looking forward to it. It's building up to something 
like something really loud and really good. I've no doubt. Yeah, yeah I've no doubt that it's going to yeah. be it's going to have a ton of pathos and it's going to get us all crying. The crescendo. <laughs> the crescendo of dreams. Yes. Um and uh that brings us to a close for the pool list and uh the, that weekend in fact of the week where NCBD the 19th of the 9th is in fact Thought Bubble where you will be able to catch us in Leeds wandering around the weekend convention checking out some of the cool stuff that's going on and uh you know some of the awesome guests that are going to be there and everything else mm. so uh Ray anything on anything at Thought Bubble that you are particularly looking forward to I'm not uh, fully clued up on what to expect from this. I've never been to one. Um, there's a few c- celebrity like artists and writers that I'm looking forward to seeing. So like Jamie McKelvey and um, Kieran Gillen of uh, the Wicked and Divine fame. Um, Simon Spurrier, who's you know a favorite of yours. Yep. Uh, yeah, there's a bunch here. There's, it seems like there's a really good lineup. And I, um, on Twitter, I've been fo- you know just following i follow a lot of comic book artists or just you know comic artists and artists in general yeah and there's a few that i really like that are on um twitter that will be coming you know selling their wares selling their new books and stuff so there's a bunch of people i've already tagged set aside their twitter handles and hoping to you know have a quick chat and let them know that i appreciate their work which is what it's all about really yeah i mean well um looking at some of the uh people that are going to be there some of the people that um you know i'd be looking forward to um seeing around would be uh Lieber Mayo is going to be there who is the uh, artist on this new Batman book Batman Damned okay. um uh Ivan Brandon of uh, Verses which is a image book that I've been reading Oh cool yeah Yeah um we've got Oh Karen Berger's going to be there that'll be cool Yeah Karen Berger that'll be pretty cool Greg Rooker's going to be there Oh nice Yeah Alex Maliev Oh yeah, Magdalene Visaggio, um, who I was talking about with Eternity Girl. That'd be epic. Alison Sampson. Oh, cool. Brian Stelfreeze. Oh, there's loads. There's yep. loads of these names. The problem is with this website is that all the names are like clumped together in one big block and it's kind of hard to discern them all. I know. So like when you're saying these names that I 100% recognize, but I can't pick them out from like the massive, <laughs> the massive names in this one one page. Yeah, there's going to be some... some, uh, some some of my favorite comic artists there actually so yeah it's going to be really cool um and there's some other really good stuff going on over the weekend as well like various events and things um during the convention itself so and there's going to be some really some really cool things to check out and uh, yeah we'll be wandering around having fun yeah you'll spot us in our ace comical t-shirts that yes, we should be yes. wearing the entire weekend <laughs> um and like if you happen to be a fan and you want to come and have a chat by all means do that i'd be yeah. surprised considering that it turns out from the metrics that i look at obsessively uh, most of our fan base is in california but if you happen to be <laughs> traveling across from the west coast to yes. to, to, to leeds for thought bubble then yeah. by all means come over and give come over and say five. hi yeah yeah um come and come and say hi to us it'd be it'd be, it'd be interesting to meet some fans actually hmm some, oh my uh, god, John Allison's going to be there. Sweet. Yep. <laughs> It'd be interesting to to meet some listeners and just kind of like um kind of like get some feedback that way actually. I quite like that. Yeah, we love talking to people. Yeah. Let's let's do that. Bring we love talk we love talking to people so much that we record it. <laughs> so <laughs> we talk to each other and record it. But yeah, um so yeah, Thought Bubble and um we we're, we're looking really forward to Thought Bubble and all three of us will be there. So yeah, indeed. 
walking around in black and yellow t-shirts. <laughs> so, um, that has been Ace Comicals episode number 43. You can find us to listen to us in various places. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn and Castro. You can find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Twitter at Ace Comicals. You can find us on Instagram as Ace Comicals. You can find all of these things on our main website, which is like our hub for everything. And that is www.acecomicals.com. You can find us, uh, I think I may have already mentioned, but we're on Spotify as well. So you can find us on Spotify there. Uh, If you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can uh, through our email address, which is acecomicals at gmail.com. Or obviously you can uh, tweet at us, uh, DM us on Twitter and we'll respond. I'm available on Twitter under at Bato. So you can find me and uh, you can tweet at me or you can DM your questions to me. Ray, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter, so that's at Monke, so at M-O-O-N-K-E-H. And we've recently had a really big upswing in listeners. Um, and I'd be really curious to find out where you've all come from. Like, it's definitely a good thing. We want to hear how you found us and what you like about us. So yeah. if you have any comments or, you know, feedback, suggestions, questions, yeah. whatever, by all means, send them either to the email or, you know, directly to us on Twitter. Or if you happen to be at Thought Wobble, shout them in our faces. Yes, but not literally. <laughs> I mean, maybe. We don't know how busy and loud it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we also have a Kofi page or coffee. I'm not I'm still not sure how to pronounce it, but it's there. And if I mean, you... I mean, the whole point of the website is yeah. buy me a coffee. It's not buy me a Kofi. <laughs> buy me a coffee. <laughs> I don't know. It's like hyphenated Sorry, and stuff. It's hard. <laughs> but yeah. Buy me a coffee. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> John Coffey. Yeah, John Coffey, yeah. But no, it's um it's our uh, our coffee website. So where you can if you feel so inclined and you enjoy what we do, um you can donate to us the price of a coffee and all funds go to keeping the website lights on. So and keeping the podcast up. A worthy cause. Yes. So, um that has been Ace Comicals number 43. That is Ace Comicals over and out.